Greetings and salutations to our fine podcast audience. I am Jason. I am Ed. This is Ed. And I am Nathan. And he is it, Nathan. It's unique that we have the same clothes on three weeks in a row. It's amazing. Yeah. Because I ain't got nothing else to wear. <laughs> no, Every week on the podcast, we just happen to wind up in these clothes. It's the uniform. But <laughs> I, ha- got it. I have Mountain Dew Zero, which Uh-oh. I didn't have last time. Still. I, I'm drinking a cup of coffee again. Still working on my diet, Dr. Pepper with cream soda. Three not, weeks in a row. Three weeks on not it. Not still working. It's a different one. Yeah. yeah. It's getting warm now. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, all right. So, uh, we are uh, two weeks into a brand new series about love. Yep. So, we are defining love. And in just a moment, uh, we're going to answer a question that somebody sent us about how to love somebody. Good. Oh. That's a teaser because I'm not going to ask that one first. Okay. I want to ask something else first. Ultimately, all things have to do with love. Of course it do. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. You reminded <laughs> us of that. Um, I thought this question was great. I, I think they're all great, but I really liked this question when I read it. <laughs> okay, that's not true. He does not, he does not think all of them are great. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to stifle our questions. <laughs> I don't either. Link is in the description, by the way. <laughs> Send us more. We, lo- we really yeah, do we appreciate it. We love more. getting questions. Yes, we do. Um, but I was so excited to be able to answer this one. Um, so here's, here's what they want to know. They say, on Sundays, uh, as a part, of, uh, a part of what we say together before we worship is, and they quote it, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And they want to know, where does that idea come from? What does it mean? I say it every week, but I'm not sure if I know what I'm saying. Now, if you're not sure what this person is referring to, each and every week, either at our... Uh, in-person, on-site services, or the online uh, gatherings, we have... Uh, I was going to say, if you're not sure what this person's talking about, you haven't gone You haven't been. Story, That's true. Or, or you're late every or you're single week. You, you could or be late. late every week. So at the beginning of our gatherings, uh, we recite, well, Scripture together. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a, a call to worship is what we call it, mm-hmm. uh, and it just helps us remember some things it it and and it's it's a helpful way for us to get god's word into our minds yeah. and in our hearts well, since so, worship is mm. me telling god what i know to be the truth about him how great he is and who he is that's all worship is mm-hmm. this is just a way to do that yep other than singing not yep. everybody loves singing that's right this is a different way to to yes. Describe and, worth to God. And we've been doing this a lot recently of, of praying the Scripture, of reciting Scripture together just uh, as a way of, as a part of our worship, uh, ga- part part of our worship in our gatherings. And so I thought I would just read the call to worship in case um, people don't remember. Uh, and this is what the person is referring to. So we start by saying, who is your maker? And then we quote Colossians 1, 15 and 16, which says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He's supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, governments, rulers, and authorities. Everything was created through Him and for Him. And the next question is, what is your Creator like? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, which is from Exodus 34, verse 6. The next question says, can you trust your maker even when life is hard? Romans 8, 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or death? No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what does this creator of yours deserve? 
Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then we state, so let us worship our God together. And then we quote Psalm uh, 95, verses 6 and 7, which says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And then we move into our worship Amen. time. So all of those are true. And uh, so back to the original question. This person says that very first statement that we make, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. They want us to clear that up for them so that they can have a better knowledge of what they're stating when they make that statement. So who wants to go first? I I don't mind going first. What Paul is trying to do is what Paul is saying is that Jesus in body form gives us the exact picture of who God is that you can't see. Yes. What you see in Jesus is what is true about God. And that's a theme that we've brought up over and over and over again right here on this podcast because we often deal with people's questions about Scripture and and, and is this what the Bible really says or is this what God is really like? I guess I should say that, that, especially when a lot of people read parts of the Old Testament. They want to know, what well, is this really what God is like? And we've often here said, always, always, always look at Jesus because yeah. you see the essence of God there in Jesus. And I think that was what Paul is saying. Like you said, he's just restating what we've been saying. This is what, when we want to, you want to see who God is. In fact, Jesus himself said that when the, when the disciples, remember they came to him and they said, Jesus, show us the Father. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Guys, come on! You you've seen him. You're looking at him. You know when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why do you ask me that? I've been showing you this whole time. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, and I think the reason we it's important that we have it at the very beginning of our worship service is, um, you know, for all the reasons we said about what, what worship is. But I think primarily, you know, we begin with a call to worship, then we end with this benediction, which is what we call the part at the end. That's this basically a prayer of blessing. Really, it's a commissioning to go out and do what we've just either learned or um, been taught or whatever. And the beginning is uh, really the purpose of our gathering and, and worshiping together is is it's a part of forming us. Um, all of us are being formed by something. And I remember, um, you know, a couple, a couple months ago, Ed said in a message, he said, it's, uh, it, it's, troubling um, that more people are discipled either by their political party or their news network or their group of friends than they are uh, Jesus, who they call Lord. And so we just kind of made a conscious effort, you know, maybe a year ago at this point that we would start um, every service with being formed by the words of God, by the things God says about himself and about us, um, because worship is less about us than it is about God. And um, it's it's really even less about what I have to say, and I think that's a, I think that's an important thing because I think we miss that sometimes. You're like, well, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna say things to God that I want to say, and there's places for that to happen. But really, in worship, it's 
things that God has told me to say to him. Uh, I mean, and that's that's really not different than other relationships that, you know, with my wife, I, I, I tell her times, hey, these are things when you say them, that really means something to me. That when you when you say words like that, when you when you do things like that, that really means something to me. And for my wife to keep going, yeah, but I don't like saying things like that. This is how I want to show you love. Yeah. This is how I want to say that I care about you. Mm. So I'm going to keep doing that. Although it means nothing to you, mm. it doesn't do that. And many of us do that, which is, well, I'm more, I'm not moved by standing and reading words. Well, most of us are not. Yeah. I'm not moved most week, and I'm often the one up there doing it. And I'm not moved by the, I'm not, I'm not weeping afterwards. No. But there is a formational quality to it that every, every Sunday I stand up and say, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. That there is there is nothing I get to put on God that he doesn't get to show me what he's like. Oh, that yeah. God left no room for interpretation of what he was like. He got on a cross and showed me what he was like. Well, and that's why I think, you know, I think there's so many images floating around people of what God is like. And even among the people who are followers of Jesus, people will say things, something bad will happen. And if it gets really bad, eventually somebody will talk to me or somebody. Or I'll say when people have talked to me, I bet I've had this phrase over the last 40 years, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times. Things are going and people say, I guess God's punishing me for something. <laughs> and I've finally gotten to the point and say to people, is that the way you think God actually works? What about Jesus shows you that when somebody has something bad happening in life, Jesus said, that's God punishing them. Mm-hmm. In fact, when the disciples outright the asked him that, yeah. is this guy blind because something he did or his parents did? He goes, it's neither one. Neither one. It's yeah. not, that's not the way God operates. Mm-hmm. But we have these images that Jesus just clears up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think it's just important, because um, I know for people who have been around community Christian a long time, this is, I mean... Pretty. I mean, we always do different stuff, but it's pretty different, pretty consistently different for what we do, and that's really. And we said that early on. This was, this was the heart behind it is that we would be formed. That I don't get to come and worship God. I well, I will say this: God allows me to come with whatever ideas I have about God. But it's important that uh, I don't stay at a place where whatever ideas I have about God are the most important thing. God has already spoken about who he is, and it's my job to figure out. And I think all of us could say, frequently I go, oh, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand him. I've been following him for a long time, and I didn't understand that part. I just totally missed that this is something he cared about or this is something that he valued. And um, I think that's an important part of it every week. So I would say back to the question to this person that says, you know, hey, I've said that phrase and I'm not sure what I'm saying, uh, just, to, just to make it real clear, you are stating who your God is, and yep. you, are, you are basically holding up Jesus every time you say this, and you say, this is my God. He is my maker. He's the one I worship. He's the one that, uh, he's the one that brings me salvation, and he's the one I, I give my life to. And everything you see in him is everything that God is. And I, I think that's a pretty powerful statement to start off. Well, uh, and it's a really Sunday powerful week. statement in our world because uh, God has become in our world. It, to say I believe in God doesn't mean much to most people. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. that's where we, but there is a distinct difference between believing in Jesus 
and believing in some nebulous form that's the power of the universe. Mm-hmm. Or as as uh, this passage of Scripture, which when we began this, I remember this particular one began sometime just after our series, uh, Christians in the Age of Outrage, and we said you have yep. to separate your your faith from your politics and not have your politics be over your faith. And uh, this particular passage, which is why it ends by saying uh, he's the maker of everything, including thrones and yes. governments and authorities. What Paul in, is writing, which this is most likely either a song or what's called That's a creed, right. like mm-hmm. a statement of belief, um, what, what the purpose of that is to say in their culture, which is not different than ours, we just don't <laughs> outright. vastly different. We don't, state, we don't state it this way. The emperor, the ruler, was God. You didn't get to, you don't right. really get to question. And, and, and he's saying that, hey, I know you've been taught that Caesar is the image of God, which is actually a phrase they would use. He was the he's They called the him Im- son of God. The son of God. Yeah. That he is the son of God. Christ is is the actual son of God. And he's the one who made these thrones and governments and authorities. So stop making your allegiance, stop swearing your allegiance to these governments and thrones and rulers. Make your ultimate allegiance Christ. And I certainly would think there is nothing less controversial for a Christian to say within a Christian church than Jesus is my ultimate authority. But but. there is nothing more controversial, and it should be to an outside watching world, to a Christian to say, I have no higher allegiance than Mm -hmm. Jesus. That should mean something. And if it doesn't mean something, then we're not really meaning it. Well, and let's be clear, throughout history, that statement has been a dangerous statement and in many parts of the world still is, to hold up and say, yes. you know, the, the phrase Jesus is Lord, let's be clear, that was in stark contrast in that time to Caesar is Lord. That was what they were forced to say, allegiance to the government. And then they this, this band of Christ followers come along and go, no, Jesus is Lord. So when they said this, this was, this was life-threatening. Well, and, and throughout centuries, it has been around the world that for, for people that wanted to serve in government offices where often you have to pledge allegiance yeah. and the government really takes it serious that they are your top allegiance, that they knew what Christians believed and they would often ask them specifically, are we above your religion? Mm-hmm. And Christians would have to not serve either in those armies yeah. mm-hmm, because they couldn't pledge allegiance to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because allegiance had already been pledged. Yes. Yep. All right. We, we good? We got Here's what I want to say to that person okay, as well. Ahead. I want to say this to you, who, whoever asked that. Good for you for asking. Yes. And I'd say that what we were hoping to happen is probably already happening a little bit. We wanted the words of Scripture to begin to form you. And the fact that you've allowed them, that you actually were saying them and you didn't know what you were saying, that you asked about it, shows that they actually are. Mm. They're mm-hmm. begin- the the the. the the power of the Word of God is yes. that it begins to turn over in your mind, and you begin, what does that really mean? Do I really believe that? I, I believe you're on your way to something good if you can really get locked in on that. Christ is the invisible image, <laughs> the visible image of the invisible God. He's my Lord. He's mm. overall. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Which, you know, is just another reminder of something we've talked about here is that what we often feel as a daily monotony of reading God's Word and being uh, acquainted with the Bible uh, is not in vain. 
it, it is a forming exercise that we do as a discipline it is. for a greater purpose, not so that we can become you know, puffed up with a lot of knowledge and, and, and know all the answers, but so that it can form us into, and that's what you're talking about. Yep, so that's exactly another right. reminder of that. I love it. Okay. Next question. This is the one that ties into our current series. We've been talking about the nature of love, what love is, what love's not. Uh, we've been basing it on First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and of course, how Jesus uh, defined love. And I can see that the person who wrote this question, they're having a little bit of a conflict in this. And, and so, and, that, and that's a good thing. It's actually a good thing. Here's the question. I am struggling to love someone who is evil. <laughs> How do I love everyone always and not be a hypocrite when it comes to this person? Now, obviously, you're trying to take Jesus seriously because Jesus was probably you know, the first one to say, love your enemies, not right. just those who do good to you. That anybody, Everybody does that. <laughs> everybody loves the people that love them, but my community is different. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. In the face of evil, we still love. So I get that you're struggling with that. Doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, so... Let's talk about how does this take place. Enemy love. We want to talk specifically about yeah. enemy love, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, uh, you know, one thought I had as I read the question is, you know, I want to love someone who is evil. Um, I, I was going to say probably if you maintain that um, posture towards this person, it's actually going to make it harder. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing some, this person inherently as evil, trying to see them as a, a person loved by God, one for whom Christ died, who is currently doing evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's a separation, and, I, and that may be controversial. I don't know. Um, but I think there's an important... I think there's an importance in making that distinction. Well, I think so. I think Jesus makes that clear, that there's a difference between judgment and discernment, that judgment is, uh, in Jesus' vernacular, is the same as uh, condemnation, whereas discernment is a form of wisdom. So Jesus says... Uh, there's a there's a way that I can judge, right? You know, the, I can look at what you do and see that it's wrong. Yeah, well, and I'm I'm judging anything. I'm judging this is good, this is bad. I can mm-hmm. see that's wise, that's foolish. Which I would say is most often the classical. Uh, biblical way of defining things. This is this behavior is wise or it's foolish. There's occasionally times where things are referred to as just evil, but. Um, I can look at this behavior and say that's a wise behavior, that's foolish behavior, and I'm, I'm judging it in that form. But there's a difference when I judge you as unworthy of love, as no longer really made in the image of God, mm-hmm. as being a person who, and maybe evil, I don't know what word you might use, but just vile, just somebody who is beneath me. Um, because of your behavior, that Jesus is saying there has to be a way that I can look, which is why he says, and he talks about judgment, he says, first you deal with your own sin, because what you, you know, for the take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of mm-hmm. your brother's eye. What he's really saying is, in your own life, you do separate your behavior and who you are as a person. Sure. You do say, I know I did that, and you even use phrases like but this. I'm but I'm still that, a good person. Yeah, and that wasn't really me. Right. That wasn't really me. You are separating out... I'm a I'm I'm worthy of being loved. You should forgive me, even though I've done this thing. But we tend to not do that with other people. So first, I need to look at my own behavior. But then I do go to this other person. I can speak to them about their behavior. But, and I think that's a good point. I can separate out this person's behavior and call it what it is. It's evil and it's vile. Yeah. It de- depending on what it is. This is evil and vile behavior. But you're loved by God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I do think loving people who are in different kinds of behavior looks differently. And I know all of us have probably even taught this before, but um, I know it's Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Um, but I know John Townsend writes about a lot that, that in the biblical categories, there's really three people. There's, a, there's wise people, there's foolish people, and there's evil people. Um, and each person, in order to love them properly, because it's not loving to a person who's in evil behavior to just keep going, okay, whatever, doesn't yeah, matter, keep right. doing what you're doing, you'll be fine, you do you. That's not love. And so maybe we could talk about that for a minute, of what's the yeah. difference between those three, how do say, I know when a person's It's evil? important right here to define love. That, that, I think that's important. Also, you know, the end of their question is they don't want to feel like a hypocrite. So I think we also have to define hypocrisy is not me going against what I feel. It's that's going right. against what I believe. Mm. Yeah. And the very fact that you want to love this person is a fulfillment of your belief. Mm. You know that you should. So the the fact that you are struggling to love a person that has done bad things, evil things, I don't, I don't really see a reason to say, because I don't know your situation. Uh, you know, if somebody's abusing you, I think that's evil. Yeah. And, but the command is still for me to love them. So that gets to, we've got to define love. Define love, yeah. But even after I define it and I figure out to do it, it it's not going to change how I feel. Mm-mm. So I always I always say to people, most Christians I know, if I said to them, <laughs> Do you love your enemy? They go, I, I, I don't have any enemies. <laughs> because in their mind, they think if I had an enemy and I loved them, they wouldn't be an enemy anymore because they define love into we'd suddenly be all good and everything. My love has power to heal all things, bridge all things. But, you know, Jesus loved the people who killed him. So did the apostles. They prayed for them actively. And all that Jesus asked me to do with enemies is I'm to pray for them. I'm to bless them. Hmm. I'm I'm to try to actively do the good that I can do for them. He didn't ask me to change how I feel. Well, and that's, and, I think that gets to what love ultimately is, which is the best definition I've ever heard is it's to will the good of another. Right. Which, and yeah. when I, once again, when I taught students, the way I said will ultimately is what I'm wanting and what I'm working for. What I'm willing to want, what I'm willing to work for, that I do want what's best for you. And as every parent knows, there are times that what's good for you and what's best for you isn't what's fun for you or isn't what's enjoyable for you or may even hurt you yet not harm you, that it may, mm-hmm. it may cause a little bit of pain, that when I put a consequence in your life, you may, you may feel a little bit of hurt, but the difference between hurt and harm is hurt stings, right? And, and harm does damage, harm and love never does damage. Yeah. Love never does damage, but it may cause, in the case of an evil person, that when I put a consequence, they may get hurt, and they may even say to you, but this hurts, you're, it hurts me the way you're treating me, that doesn't mean that you're not necessarily loving them. If my if my intention yeah. and my goal is right. I want what's best for you, yeah. but if my goal is because you've hurt me, I want to hurt you back. Mm. Now we got a different deal. Yeah, and I, I see a lot of that in our the way we talk about people these days, the way our rhetoric uh, is um, surrounding the people that we disagree with, particularly right now in our political divide. Um, it is it is so I think so easy, and and I I'll speak straight to Christians because. Bible says that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I'm not supposed to judge those outside the church. Right. I'm supposed to look at those inside. Uh, those of us inside the church, I, I find it so much, so easy these days for many of my brothers and sisters to uh, take hold of the the group or the people or the person that 
with whom I disagree with politically, somehow turn them into that they're an evil person. Mm. And so now I've turned them into an entity and I have to fight against that. I have to, I have to put that down. That's evil. So I'm going to fight against it. And then I, now I've turned, I've actually turned non-love into a noble pursuit. I'm crusading oh, against mm-hmm. something that is evil. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. And so it, and it, what it does is we kind of come in the back door and we go around Jesus's command for enemy love. Now I've somehow justified the ability to work not for the good of those that I deem who are evil. Mm-hmm. And so now I've, I've actually done an end around Jesus's uh, command. And I, I, I think it's killing us uh, in the culture. I think it's killing us spiritually. Um, so that's 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 why I think all of that stuff is so important for us to 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 face it. It's not easy. It's challenging what Jesus has asked us to do, um, but it's necessary. You know, if you're not challenged by the command to love your enemies, it means you're not really taking it seriously. That's right. So one one of the best examples are not examples illustrations I've had on that is this dichotomy or not dichotomy because that'd be two this thing of wise foolish and evil people that it helps me to know what does love for my enemy or someone who's wronged me look like in different situations and well and it's really good I know the way Townsend and um, Cloud. Cloud teach that is you really need to get clear it's it's me dealing with everybody yeah of. If this is a wise person, and the way you always figure any of these out is by how, if I share wisdom with a wise person, mm-hmm. it helps the wise person. It, they get better. They mm-hmm. take the wisdom, mm-hmm. they apply it to their life, and things get better. If I share wisdom with a foolish person, by their foolishness, they can't apply it. But they're not, they're not actively trying to not apply it. They're just foolish. They don't know. It's like... Pearls to swine. Mm-hmm. I'm just taking something. I'm throwing. It doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything at all to them. But and all of that teaching by Townsend and Cloud comes out of the Book of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. In in Proverbs, the evil person is the person who takes my wisdom and actively uses it against me, mm-hmm. right? To divide me and other people from each other to attack what God cares about. In fact. That whole list of the things that God hates all grow out of that. Those are things that <laughs> evil does. Mm-hmm. It takes wisdom and it uses it against the, the wise person. And so the way you figure out when I'm dealing with somebody who's wronged me is, are they wise? Because wise people make mistakes. It's not about That's making right. mistakes. Yeah. A wise person is you give them the advice or you tell them. So let's just talk in this case. My guess is if you're calling them evil, they've done something to hurt you. That's my guess. They've made a mistake. They've done something that's hurt you. They hurt you. A wise person, you come to them and you go, hey, that hurts. I don't like that. Can you stop? And they go, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know, which may actually be the case sometimes. There are people I've mm-hmm. called evil. Oh, I've yeah. never mm-hmm. confronted. That's right. Then I say, hey, I think, I think you didn't know you were hurting me, which is always the way I would go about it. Mm-hmm. I, you must not have known because I, I, I believe the best about love you. Love believes you? the best. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> I believe that you love me and you wouldn't want to hurt me, so let me tell you. And they say, okay, I don't know. And then the next time they have an opportunity to do it or the next time, you know, they don't ever do it again, right? A foolish person, you tell them, they say, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. But then they do it again. Here's how you know if the difference between whether they're foolish or wise. You put a consequence in place. You say, because you, and I don't know what it is. That's specific to whatever this. But let's say it's someone, they keep saying something. Your consequence is, hey, when you say that, 
I'm just, I'm going to walk away from the conversation. I'm going to be done. And if they then, once they have a little bit of pain, because this is the difference between hurt and harm, the fool has to get a little slap on the hand sometimes and go, ooh, because I've been a fool most of my life. Sometimes it took the little slap on the hand for me to realize I shouldn't do that. You telling me wasn't enough, right? But then there's an evil person, which is once I tell you and I put the consequence, consequences don't stop evil people. Evil people like walls. They like to climb over the wall. Give me That makes it a little more fun when I get to break your rule. And like you said, I get to use it now against you. And no matter how many consequences you put, I keep wanting to go at you. At that point, it's important for you to distance yourself from that person. Doesn't mean you don't love them. And we had a just... A couple weeks ago, we talked about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. This is a place where you're not ready to reconcile with this person. You got to put some distance. We can't. We can't hang out anymore. We we can't. I can't. I'm not going to answer your text. I'm going to block you on Facebook if you keep coming. But at, me like at this. least in terms of what Jesus has to say, which he takes all that teaching from Proverbs, he knows all of that, mm-hmm. and he says, "Now I want you to love your enemies." I do put distance. There are his consequences. I don't allow them to actively hurt me, but. I do pray for them. Yes. I ask for God's yes. best to happen in their life because what would be best for them is for them to realize what's going yes. on. Mm-hmm. I don't pray. I don't have to pray that, oh, God, make them come to the wisdom of their ways mm-hmm. and all that. I just say, hey, God, bless this person. Bless would them. you pr- bring your best into their life? Would you mm-hmm. help them? I don't. I do what I could if I have an opportunity to do good to them because that's salt and light in their life. And it is not hypocritical to do that and not feel like it. No, and to still be leery of them, to be a little concerned about it, uh, to do it in such a way that you don't get hurt, but it's obedient to do it and still label them as an enemy. I think it's so disingenuous in our world for Christians to act like everybody, I love everybody and therefore everybody loves me. Well, and I don't have any enemies. Yes. It's only because we live in a place where nobody's actively trying to kill us. Yeah. But well, see, if they were trying to kill me, you'd know. I would still also have to love them. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I think Jesus, once again, the cross is always the greatest example of love. And Jesus on the cross, and I would just encourage you to pray this. I pray this regularly, which is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And what I find so interesting about that is Jesus is on the cross. He's being killed by Roman executioners that are really good at what they do. And Jesus says, they don't know what they're doing. Well, clearly they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. What Jesus is actually doing is he is seeing something we can't see, and he goes... There, something has happened to this person. This, this Roman execution, he wasn't born as a little baby, and they said, oh, man, I hope they strip people naked and nail them up to things and kill them. That was not God's intention when he created this baby. Something happened to this person that they go, the best way to deal with problems in the world is you kill them. Yeah. You kill the problems. And Jesus goes, he can see the soul and the image of God in this person has become so corrupted, and it breaks his heart. Mm-hmm. And he just prays, Father, forgive them. If they understood what yeah. was happening to them when they did this, they stop but they can't see it and then I could look at the person who has hurt me from maybe from a distance and I go God I hope one day they see what they've done so that they can be better and that the image of God goes forward that I can be angry and this is when Jesus says don't even be angry with a brother he's he didn't say don't be angry about what they did I can be angry and go no one should treat me like this no one should be treated like this but you know there's something that's happened to them that they would treat a person like this and so I'm not angry at them or with them. I'm angry with this thing that has happened that should have never happened. 
Anger is important when I've been wronged because it allows me to resolve the wrong that's been done. Uh, but like you, like you were talking about earlier, just outright laying, well, because this person's evil now, they're yeah. less and I don't have to love them. Is well, not the good thing is if I can get it clearly in my mind, like I'm think I, if somebody asks me who's an enemy, I, there's, there are a couple of people right now I know actively work against me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I don't really think they have a reason. Mm-hmm. Now they, I can. I, they probably think they do. Well, obviously, yeah. yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, they do. And I think I've tried to work it out. Obviously, they think I haven't. But I, I pray for them regularly. The yeah. good news for that, that for me is my heart is open to them. Mm. That if there's a chance we can move from enemy to neighbor, yeah, where I can actively do good for them, even though we might not be friends yet, yeah. I want to do that. And then if we can get to that point, I could move to the next label, level. And maybe maybe my love for them, my love has been the same, but our closeness could change. But if, if I operate in this unreal world of it's only love if I feel it all the mm-hmm. time, I won't do what, I have to, what love requires of me yes. that opens me up to the possibility of fixing that. I'll just walk away from people. I just be done with people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'll call myself still loving. And believe me, I have done that in spades in my life. I'm just tired. I just I'm just not going to do it anymore. Mm. Mm. So um, hopefully that helps this person uh, maybe to do that. I hope so. So um, hopefully that answered it. If you uh, need follow up, let us know. Yeah, Jesus is right about everything, including loving your enemy. Yes. And if you actively do it, even if you don't feel it, you are not a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. You are, in fact, a more faithful believer. Yep. So hang in there. All right. That's it for today. So keep sending us those questions. The link is in the description. As always, send them to us, and we will get to them as fast as we possibly can. Yep. We love you guys. We Thanks really for watching. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody. Spread the news. Spread the good news. Well, a news. This, this ain't the good news. <laughs> no, this is not. I didn't mean, oh, I did not mean that at all. This, this is a good time waster during the week. <laughs> no, not, <laughs> hopefully not. Okay. So, all right. So, send us some more questions, and we will get to them next week, because uh, that's the end of my list right now. So, send them on. All right. All right. Have a great week. See you. Bye, ya. y'all.